Let's take a minute and let's just bless the Lord. Father, we bless you. We honor you, Father. We give you all the praise and all the glory. You alone are worthy, Lord, to receive all adoration, all honor. You are the great King and the mighty God. You are the loving Father. Thank you for your compassion, your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all that you provided for us that pertains to life and godliness. Father, well, you are the one that supplies all of our needs, that you heal our bodies. Thank you, Lord God, that Jesus bore away the curse from us so that we could be redeemed and walk in liberty. Lord, I just thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus paid the price for our sin so that we can come into your presence. Oh, I bless you, Lord. I give you honor and glory, Father. Hallelujah to our King. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we bless you and honor you, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to sit at your feet, to hear your word being taught. And Father, I thank you so much that your anointing comes on your word that removes burdens and destroys yokes. It opens our eyes to give us clear understanding and insight that we would receive the wisdom of your word, that as we meditate on it, understanding comes alive within us and application would be the result into our life. Father, I just thank you so much that because of revelation and impartation that comes from your word, the power of hell is not in any way able to stand against it or overcome it, that the light will always overcome the darkness. Father, we thank you that we continue to grow and develop in your divine nature, conforming to the image of Jesus, walking in a manner worthy of you and pleasing you in all respects. We thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, we're going over to Revelation chapter 1 this evening. And I guess it was a few weeks ago uh, we started talking about compromise and not compromising. Uh, but we're going to take a little break from that road. And we're going to go down a different road. And uh, all roads shall meet someplace. <laughs> okay. Uh, but because uh, we were talking about the we talked about the church of Pergamum and then we, we started talking about the church of Thyatira. But we want to look at the beginning of the book of Revelation when John actually uh, starts to introduce some things and um, Jesus speaking to the churches. So in Revelation chapter one, verse one. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. All right. So talking about, of course, the revelation, you know, the, the book of Revelation is not a revelation of end times, tribulation and all that stuff. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's how it starts off. And most people uh, miss the, everything about the book of Revelation, and they even miss about things in their own life because they've missed the revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, any kind of revelation will always promote Jesus. Revelation does not promote ourselves. It does not promote any created thing. It promotes nothing except Jesus himself. Amen. Uh, revelation, the revelation of Christ, is not a mystery. It's not bizarre. Uh, it's not hidden. 
Uh, it's not to hide truth from us, but it's absolutely out in the open and reveals the truth in a perfectly understandable way. There's nothing vague about it, and it's very clear. The Word of God is God-breathed. This is part of the Word of God. It is God-breathed. Men moved by the Holy Spirit. And in this uh, book of Revelation, as in all Revelation, actually, it shows us things to come in the spirit of prophecy. Okay? So that's what the book of Revelation is about. So let's look in verse 3 and 4. And it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. And John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So he says, Blessed is the person that reads it, that hears it, and heeds it. Because to heed it means to keep an eye on it, guard it, and obey it, walk in it. Isn't that right? You know, every time the Word of God talks about hearing the Word, it always has the idea of heeding what you hear. Not just listening, but doing what you hear. All right? Um, just imagine you telling your kids to do something, and they go, well, I heard you, but they never did it. <laughs> Not going to go very well. <laughs> Amen. Now, it, it, it talks about the churches in, in Asia. And there was 500 to 1,000 churches in Asia, but he's writing to the seven churches, because seven is the number of fullness, okay? And um, he talks about the seven churches, and then he talks about the seven spirits. Well, there's not seven Holy Spirits. Seven is the number of perfection, and the Spirit of God is perfect, all right? So it's a perfection. He, he, he's talking about perfection, and then he's talking about the ministries of the Holy Spirit, in that number seven. Um, and we know that in the speaking to the churches in the book of Revelation, there are problems within the churches. Uh, church problems are common. Do you know why there's so many problems in the churches? Because there's people. That's right. <laughs> Everybody got that right. How about that? <laughs> you notice when the building is empty, there's no problem. You know? <laughs> but church problems are common, okay? And when you read through the churches in the book of Revelation, you find that not all deal with the same problems, but all deal with something. And the same way that it is today, there are problems, and the, the problems covered in the seven churches covers every churches for all time. Amen. And he says in... Uh, he says here, grace to you, grace to you and peace from him, okay? Grace to you. You know, you need grace. If God's going to talk to you and there's things that need to be accomplished, you're going to need the grace of God. Right. You can't do it on your own. You can't do any of it on your own. If you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need the Lord to be there with you. Isn't that right? So he says, grace to you and peace. And the word peace metaphorically means peace of mind and tranquility arising, number one, from reconcile, reconciliation with God. That when you are reconciled to God, when you've made Jesus Lord of your life and you have reconciled yourself to God, you are at peace with him. He's never been at war with you, but you've been at war with him. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. 
And the, reason, the way we are at war with him is that we don't live like he wants, like we ought to live, like we're supposed to live. And we want to go do things our own way, which is our number one problem. I just tell you that. It's the number one problem. You just want to do it your own way. It's never worked. So there is the peace of mind that arises from reconciliation with God and a sense of divine favor. Okay, when he talks about peace, he is talking nothing about the stoic concept of indifference or apathy. You know, people that are apathetic are very peaceful. Peace has nothing to do with the Epicurean concept of selfish non-disturbance. I, I just want to be at peace. just want to be at peace. Non-disturbance. Don't, don't bother me. I'm at peace. Well, that's a bunch of hooey. <laughs> peace with God is never, never identified with selfish unconcern. When you're unconcerned, you're apathetic. You're lethargic. You are indifferent. You are uh, just don't want to be disturbed. It's all based in selfishness. And it has nothing to do with the peace of God. God's peace is independent of all outside conditions. And the peace of God is a fruit of real salvation. Amen. Which starts off, number one, when you have peace with God through reconciliation. And that peace can then move into your whole life and you can live your whole life at peace. It doesn't matter how strong the winds are blowing out there. Amen. 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 So verse 9. He says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. All right. He was on the Isle of Patmos, and Patmos was off the coast of Ephesus. And John is the last apostle. All the other apostles at this point have been martyred. Now, John, they tried to boil him in oil. They tried to, you know, cook him up. They tried to do a lot of things to kill him, but they couldn't kill him. So they exiled him to Patmos. They figured we can't kill him, so let's just exile him over to Patmos. And when they exiled him to Patmos, he was between 92 and 102 years old. He was put to hard labor on the island, and the idea was to work you to death. Uh, but he got released 18 months later. The island shut down, and he's still going. <laughs> he got released 18 months later, and he actually died in the city of Ephesus of old age after writing his last three books, which is 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So John was sent to Patmos as a criminal because you remember when Nero burned Rome? You all know he played his fiddle and burned Rome. Well, he blamed the Christians for burning Rome because the Senate said, you know, what, what's going on here? And he blamed the Christians, says the Christians are the ones that burned Rome, and Paul was the leader of these Christians. So, therefore, they blamed it all on the Christians, and therefore, John, being a Christian, he was then arrested, and the conditions that he lived in on the island of Patmos was very, very harsh. It was exhausting labor. And it was under the watchful eye and the ready whip of a Roman overseer. You had insufficient food, insufficient clothing, and having to sleep on the bare ground. And it would have taken a toll on a 95-year-old person. 
And it was on that bleak, barren island under those brutal conditions that John received the most extensive revelation of the present and future that was ever, ever given to anybody. And everybody knew the Apostle John. In fact, just run over to the Gospel of John for a minute, chapter 21. And let's look in verse 22 and 23. And that you remember this account. Jesus had risen from the dead and he's talking to Peter, feed my sheep and all this stuff. And then he's talking about John and, and Peter's like, well, what about him over there? You know, and Jesus is like, you know, he's none of your business, <laughs> you know. And, and Jesus said to Peter here, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You just follow me. Therefore, this say, saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. But yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? So there was a whole rumor that went around that John was not going to die. So therefore, because of this rumor, and here's this guy that they say is never going to die, this rumor spreads all over the place, and all of the brethren know about John because they all knew this rumor. So he was very famous. And being famous like that, he brought the most famous revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So back in uh, uh, verse 9 uh, of chapter 1 in Revelation, he says, I, John, your brother, your brother. You know, he, 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 he's the most famous apostle. He's the last living apostle, the longest living apostle, the one they could not kill, the one that was not martyred. He's still alive, but he says, I, John, your brother. So he's putting himself right into the same boat. He didn't say, I am the great apostle John. He didn't say, oh, I'm coming to you from a lofty position. God has raised me up into this great place within the church. No, he said, I'm a brother. I am in this just like you. I'm a fellow partaker just like you are. Amen. So he says, the fellow partaker of what? Tribulation. The word tribulation means to crush, to press, to squeeze. It means to break. And this word, this Greek word that was translated tribulation, it's the word thalipsis. And it was, it was the idea of a man lying down and a big giant stone would slowly roll over him, a boulder slowly being rolled on top of him that's starting to press in on his lungs, not able to breathe, right? And that's a crushing crushing experience and the more you rolled it the more pressure would come on and you're driven to the point of exasperation and despair and then it would finally crush you and kill you well if you're going to partake of things in Christ you're going to need grace and John connected with grace and the tribulation was for the cause of Christ but yet you can still have victory and walk above it all isn't that right? Because you have to connect with the grace and the peace that's in Christ. And you can walk above the tribulation and you can have victory over it. So he says, I'm a fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom. Okay. The kingdom is the Greek word basilia, which means royal power, kingship, dominion, and rule. 
So when he's talking about the kingdom, he's not talking about an actual kingdom. He's talking about the right and the authority to rule. Okay? You understand? So you have to understand, too, that in the things that we deal with, we are always involved with the clashing of kingdoms. There's always the clashing of kingdoms. And you have to understand what kingdom you're in and where your authority lies. You know, your authority comes from the kingdom where Jesus is king in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. So he says, fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and the perseverance. The Greek word hupomene which means to preserve, to persevere, or to remain under. It's a bearing up under something. It's patient endurance as to dealing with things and circumstances. It has to do with people. Long-suffering is people. Or it's (laughs) long-suffering. You know, but endurance has to do with with, uh, circumstances and things, okay? So you're enduring under a circumstance. And the word hupomene was associated with hope. And it refers to the quality of character that does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or to succumb under any trial. It will not allow you to quit. Yeah. That, that, quali- that character quality that will not allow you to quit. I mean, you want to. You might even get to the point of you want to quit, but you will not quit. You just can't because of that quality of character. That is the strongest character trait you can ever possess. Endurance. Well, in the situation that they were dealing with here, they had to consider their very life in their trial. Their life was on the line in these trials. So why would they endure? Why would they persevere in this situation? Because their eyes weren't on themselves. Their eye was on the one that paid and bought them with a price. Amen. Amen. The tribulation... The kingdom, the perseverance, the crushing, perse- crushing tribulation, the perseverance joined by dominion of the kingdom releases grace that we can walk in enduring peace in the midst of any situation. Now, don't listen to this like you're reading it in Revelation. You need to hear it in your life. This is about your life. This is about you dealing with stuff, you going through tribulations and trials, you having the authority of the kingdom, and you having an endurance that will stand to the end and will not quit. Amen. Because that's the only way you're going to connect yourself to the grace of God. This is how we come through the storms of life. Storms of life is not a one-day thing, just like the storm you just went through. That's not a one-day thing. That was not like one day and it's over. No, the crap has now hit the fan. And now you got to deal with this. So it's not over on that one day. You got to deal with this stuff until it's done. Isn't that right? And that's the way it is with the things of life. And that's why Deuteronomy 30 tells us, uh, 30 or 31, it tells us, um, uh, today I set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life. By loving the Lord, obeying his voice, and hold fast to him. When? When things are going bad? No. 
all the time. Why? So that when things go bad, you'll have the strength to stand. So many people, they don't want to love, they want to go, do all this, do all that, just run here, just run there. Well, what about God? You know, and then all of a sudden it all hits the fan. It's like, oh, what am I going to do? I need to, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. Oh, where's that verse? What does that scripture say? Whatever it says, it's not going to help you. Because it certainly isn't in your heart. Are you with me? This is your life. That's what he says. Choose life by loving the Lord, hold fast to him, and obey his voice, for this is your life. This is your life. And you need to know that. This is your life. What is your life? Loving the Lord, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. Because without that, the devil's got control of your life. And your life ain't going to be in good shape. Are you with me? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But living in these things called life in Christ, it continues to lengthen your days, lengthen your life, and continues you living in the land. And all it is, all it is, is a simple choice. That's all it is. It's a simple choice. (laughs) Okay. It's like losing weight. It's only a choice. Should I eat the cannoli or not? Should I eat the Napoleon or not? You know, it's a choice. I can't, you know, well, never mind. But it's a choice. Everything's a choice. Amen. You can't bear up and be courageous unless we live in Christ. Our relationship with him must be right. Because it's the relationship with him that carries us through the situations. Amen. I was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is the most dangerous thing to the Roman Empire, the most dangerous thing to the world, and the most dangerous thing to the heathen. Why? Because you can't see it, you can't touch it, so you can't defeat it. You can't see it, you can't touch it, and you can't defeat it, right? In fact, run over for a minute to John, the Gospel of John. Um... Chapter 18, John 18, 36. John. John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. You can't see it, you can't touch it, so you can't defeat it. Isn't that right? The political issues of kingdoms. The world's kingdoms, the devil's kingdom versus God's kingdom. They're in direct contrast. It's the clash of kingdoms. Amen. 
Look at John 19, verse 12. John 19, 12. As a result of this, Pilate made an effort to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Any, everyone who makes himself to, out to be a king opposes Caesar. So there's the clash of the kingdoms. You've got the world kingdom, and then you've got God's kingdom. And they were clashing with each other. The laws of each kingdom are different. The viewpoints of each kingdom is different. The permissions in each kingdom is different. Every battle you deal with is about a clash of the kingdoms. Every battle you deal with is not about you. It's about the kingdom. If it's only about you, you'll quit. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. We're here to promote the kingdom. We're here to continue to move the kingdom forward. We're here to stop the world from trying to stop the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Back to Revelation 1, verse 10. So he was on the Isle of Patmos, and then he says in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. I was, or I came to be, or I found myself, suddenly, all of a sudden, just came upon me, and I was in the Spirit. But where was he? On the Isle of Patmos. He was under hard labor. Isn't that right? Your geographical location should never rob you of spiritual blessings. Neither, neither should you need to be in a geographical location to be blessed. Oh, I need to go to the mountains. Oh, I need to go out to the water. No, that's just your soul. That is your emotions and your feelings. Those trees, that water, and those mountains have nothing to do with God. What it does have to do with is you going someplace and shutting down your mind. Yeah. Has nothing to do with God. You could be in the noisiest thing going on in the middle of New York City with all kinds of confusion going on and God be talking to you. Yeah. 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 Geographical location means nothing. Yeah. Amen. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's under hard labor. He's under strict scrutiny of the Roman soldiers whipping you if you're not keeping up with what you need to do. You can bind man's activities, but you cannot bind God's activities. The Apostle Paul said, I am in prison, but the word of God is not imprisoned. In fact, he said, the whole Praetorian God has heard about Jesus. <laughs> Because he had, they would handcuff him to another God. Well, I'm not going no place. You're not going no place. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And you're going to have to listen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But you know, you got to connect with that. If you're so concerned with the nonsense going on around you, you're not going to connect. You know, Moses, he was out in the wilderness. David was being pursued by the enemies. Isaiah was being persecuted. Ezekiel was exiled. Peter and Paul were in prison. And John was in Patmos. And every single one of them had an encounter with God. Why? Because your geographical location means nothing. 
And he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And that word Lord, Lord is the Greek word kyriakos, which means Lord, master, and ruler. And it should be a little L, not a capital L. This was not the Sabbath. Or was it a Sunday that the Roman soldiers gave the prisoners time off because it was church day? This is not the Lord Jesus' day. Inscribed on the Roman coins was the imperial day of the emperor. That was the Lord's day. It was the day of the emperor. Rome was very tolerant of all religions for a very, very long time. When Augustus had brought peace to the world, the Orient was ready to hail him as a god. And out of this was evolved the cult of the reigning emperor and of Roma personified. So therefore, Rome considered that the spirit of the gods or the spirit of Roma lived inside whoever the existing emperor was. And they demanded that the emperor would be um, worshipped. Now, Nero, when he became uh, uh, a Caesar... He became the leader. He believed that he was God himself. He wasn't just having a spirit of a God in him. He was God. Of course, he was a little wacky. So emperor worship was demanded. Now, Emperor Domitian, Emperor Domitian set up a day, and he set it aside, and it was considered the Lord's Day, Curiacos, the master and the ruler's day. It was a day of homage and a day of worship. Well, it was a counterfeit day to the day of the Lord, the day of Jesus. So it was a day that everybody was to call the emperor Lord, Lord Nero, Lord Domitian, Lord Caesar. So John is probably thinking, well, today is the Lord's day. You know, we're, we're off from work because it is the day of the, of the emperor and then he probably started thinking about the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And the revelation that he received was a prophecy that gave confidence of the fact that you can have victory over the world. And it starts out by giving direction to the church through the last living, famous apostle John on the Lord's day. And Jesus will begin to show himself that he is Lord of all lords. Amen. And he says, I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet. Loud. Trumpets are loud. <clears throat> but you know what trumpets also are? Clear, crisp, and a sharp sound. <clears throat> it cuts. Cuts through everything, the sound of a trumpet. In verse 11, and this voice said to him, <clears throat> write in a book that you write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, the King James Version starts this verse off by saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. <clears throat> but in the older manuscripts, that's not in there. But whether it's in there or not, it's true. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last. Isn't that right? Amen. 
But he says here, write that what you see and send it to the seven churches. And the seven churches that are listed are all in order because a courier would go to the main, mainland every day and he would go to each city. And that was the order in which he would go to each city. And he would then take what was written and bring it to each city. Of the seven churches, three of them were big, four of them were small. John on the Isle of Patmos, he is in the biggest storm of his life. You might say, well, it's not really a windy storm. It's not like a storm we just went through, but it is very tumultuous. He has got a lot going on. There's a lot that's coming against him. There's a lot of wind blowing in his life. Right? And he hears Jesus. I heard a voice. All of a sudden, I, I heard this voice speaking to me. Well, what about you in the middle of your storm? Do you hear the voice? The voice of the living word. Do you hear the voice speaking on the inside of you? Do you hear that voice giving you direction? Do you hear that voice bringing you hope? Do you hear that voice clear, concise, sharp? Did you hear something and you got to spend three days trying to figure out what you heard? I guarantee you that wasn't God. It was your own mind. Clear, sharp, concise voice of the living word right in the middle of your storm, giving you direction, giving you hope, giving you clarity. Amen. Amen. Verse 12 and 13. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. Notice how we, I, I didn't turn to see the person that was speaking. I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. I saw one like, like the son of man. In other words, he's relating it to Jesus' earthly appearance. But he said, I see one that's one, looks like one and the same. Looks like Jesus, but I've never seen him like this before. And this is why a lot of times we don't move any further in our faith because we expect it to be the way that it was. And there are so many facets and sides to faith in the word of God. That would you ever hear it and perceive faith like you haven't before? Maybe you're in a situation you've never faced before and you need faith like you've not had before. See, it's the eye of faith. It's the eye of faith that can see. But are we open to that? He said, I heard the voice. So right away, what did he do? Turn to the voice. What about when, when we're in the middle of storms of life? And we hear the voice of the word. Do we turn to it or are we so busy with what we're doing? We'll get to that later. 
Now, the moment he heard it, he turned to it. That's what you do the moment you hear it. You turn. You turn your direction. You turn your focus. You turn your sight from what you were looking at to that voice. And what did he see when he looked at the voice? One like the Son of Man. Seemed familiar, but I haven't seen this before. He had a robe. He had on a robe reaching to the feet. It was the robe of the high priest. The high priest was the one that would be before God for the people. That would be the intercessor, the go-between. Why well, aren't you glad Jesus is your intercessor? Aren't you glad he's the one that goes between? It says that he had that robe and he had girded across his chest a golden sash, which was the sash of the king and majesty. It was the sash of conquest, of being full of glory and power. Aren't you glad that he's the one that reigns in the kingdom? Amen. That your authority comes because you're in him and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Amen. Amen. Verse 14. His head was his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Hair like white wool, purity, no darkness at all. It's Christ, eternal glory holiness, and truthfulness. That's what that stands for. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes that are all searching, penetrating like fire. And also it has to do with consuming indignation against sin. Verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze when it's been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. Feet like burnished bronze. They're not bronzed yet. They're almost bronzed, which means they're still in the fire, and they're getting ready for judgment because bronze is always a symbol of judgment. But this is burnished bronze, so they are not yet bronzed. But they're getting ready to be and almost ready for judgment, and this is why he comes to the churches and says, if you repent, you must repent. He's given you time to repent and get right before judgment comes. He's warning because he does not want to judge. But when time's up, he will. Because he's just. He's just. See, a lot of people say, oh, God, just love, love, love. God's just. His love allows you to go a certain amount of time and give you a chance to repent and get things right. But if you refuse and rebel, justice comes. Not his choice. It's the individual's choice. And his voice was like many waters, which is the image of a huge waterfall roaring over a high cliff. The voice is powerful, and this voice is so awesome that when this man speaks with authority, nothing else can be heard. Even in the middle of a great storm, when he talks, your storm should hush. 
to where you can't hear your storm anymore because all of a sudden this voice has spoken. The storm has no more power. The voice has spoken. But you have to turn to it. Amen. Verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. His sharp two-edged sword. Now, this two-edged sword is not the little dagger like the sword of the Spirit. This is the broadsword. This is the one that is not for close combat, but this is the one that takes out multitudes of enemies at one time. This is the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, the broadsword. The presence of Christ provides protection for his church. He defends the church against external threats and speaks primarily of judgment against the enemies from within the church. And those who attack Christ's church, those who would sow lies, create discord, or otherwise harm his people would be personally dealt with by the Lord of the church. That's the broadsword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. John's vision of the glorified Lord of the church culminated in this description of the radiant glory that was evident in his face. This is greater than the glory that was on Moses' face. The glory of God through the Lord Jesus Christ shines in and through the church. And the church is to reflect that glory to the world. The result is that Christ is glorified. This is our king. That is our king. That is our king. And he lives for us. And you need to know that in the midst of all the stuff you got to deal with. This is your king. And he is right there. Where is he? Right by your side to shelter you safely in his presence. That's where he's at. He's right there. What's he waiting for? Why don't he help me? You haven't turned to him. He doesn't do anything that you don't ask him to. Why? Because you're in charge. He's not. Amen. Verse 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Verse 18. And the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. I was dead. Now, what that phrase means when he says I was dead, what it means is I came to be for a few moments dead. Momentarily dead, but alive forever. Alive forevermore. Glory to God. Amen. And he says, I have the keys. I have the keys. What do keys do? Keys open doors. You know, you may be in prison in the earth, And they may threaten you 
and maybe they boast about the power to be able to hold you, but death and hell cannot hold you because he has the keys. And whoever believes it will get released. You might be bound to a circumstance. You might be bound to a storm. But in the midst of it, he says, I release you from its death grip. Amen. Now, he's speaking to John here about things John understands and the people of that day understands. When he spoke to Paul about the weapons and the weapons of warfare, he was tied to a Roman soldier all the time so he could see all the weaponry, so he could understand the imagery of the weapons and how it relates. In the same way, he'll speak to you in a way you understand. He don't speak to you in, what is it called, colloquialism? Is that what it's called? Okay, he doesn't speak in hidden meetings. He doesn't, he doesn't speak in things that are under a veil. It's face-to-face, -face, wide open. You know exactly what he's saying. Amen. Glory to God. Verse 19 and 20. He says, Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, Emperor Domitian, when his son died, Domitian deified him and said that he was a child of the god Zeus. I guess you can just do that. <laughs> so what Domitian did was he had a coin made up, and on the coin was a picture of his dead son sitting on top of the globe and holding in his hand seven stars. And what that meant was that his son had heavenly authority over the world. So that he, Domitian, and his son, through this authority, would conquer the world. And it also represented, listen to this, this is Emperor Domitian. It also represented the ushering in of the age of universal salvation or a one world system, same game, same old game. The clowns out there doing the same thing. Domitian was doing it back then. It hasn't changed because the devil hasn't changed. The names change, but the game never does. And you need to stop getting wrapped up in the stupid names and realize the game. The game don't change. The devil is out to take control of the whole world. So Domitian called himself the Lord of the Roman Empire, but Jesus reveals himself as the true Lord of the universe, reigning at this time through his church. So he says in verse 20, as for the mystery, well, it's no longer a mystery. Yes. He's now told us. 
There were so many things, and you know, people read the book of Revelation, and they're like, oh, this is, this is really odd, this is really strange. You know, the, the, these things are mysterious. And they think they have mystical significance. Oh, this is a mystical book. God's never written a mystical book. He's written one that's plain and outright to understand. Now, there's great theological significance to it. And you would understand it if you knew history. That's all that takes is history to understand what Jesus is talking about back then. Why don't we understand that? Because you're not living there. But if you understand it through history, you can apply it into your life today. Amen. Seven. The seven uh, in my right hand, in my right hand, you saw, I'm sorry, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand. Okay. Seven is the number of perfection or fullness. The stars represents the pastors or the ministries. Okay. In my right hand, which is a symbol of authority. Right hand is always a symbol of authority. What's what hand of the father does Jesus sit at? Place of authority. He has complete authority, not only of Rome, like Domitian, not only the world, like Satan, but the entire universe as the majestic living Lord and has a masterful grip on it all. Amen. John knew what it meant. He lived in the Roman Empire. He's had those coins in his pocket. He knew exactly what it meant. And no matter what the world ever offers, Jesus will always one of them. Always. Them clowns that threw their, the, the, the magicians that they threw their, their staffs down and they turned into serpents. Moses' staff turned into a serpent and ate them all up. And only Moses got his staff back. The others were without him. The magicians used to take water and being able to turn it into blood but Moses, with his staff, turned the whole Red Sea into blood. Egypt used to just worship the frogs. So then the Lord, through Moses, overran the whole nation with frogs. God will always one-up them. Always. You think the devil's something? God will one-up them every single time. He ain't got jack. <laughs> telling you there's only one thing the devil's got a big mouth he'll lie 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 and if he can get you to believe it he's got you controlled and i'm not even talking about washington <laughs> all right anyway the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, okay? Seven golden lampstands, not seven candlesticks, lampstands. It's the Greek word luchinia, and it means a lamp or a la lantern because lamps have containers of oil, unlike candles. Candles don't have containers of oil. The churches are represented by these lamps, okay? The seven Lampstands are the seven churches, which represents all, because seven is the number of fullness. Is that right? So the churches are represented by these lamps, and they hold the oil and the fire so that they can dispense the light. 
Why is it that church does not dispense light? Because they have no oil and they have no fire. A lamp can't put off fire of itself. It needs oil and it needs fire. Amen. So the lamp is the instrument that dispenses light. But in order to dispense the light, it has to have oil and fire. So no church has within itself either grace or glory. It has to receive it all from Christ, its head, or it cannot give light or life. Amen. And what is the purpose of the church? To be the shining light in a dark world. Not just a lampstand. But what did he say? The seven golden lampstands. And what does gold in scripture represent? Deity. Deity. So therefore, he's showing the value that he has on the church. Amen. Why does there such a value on it? What did it cost God to purchase the church? The blood of his son. The blood of his son and the excruciating torment that he had to suffer of taking the wrath of all of our sin. Amen. The seven golden lampstands also represents the presence of God in the church, filled with oil, the presence of the Holy Spirit. God never put the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Godhead, never going to put him in something cheap. There is nothing on this earth more precious than the church. Amen. Amen. See, and you have to understand some of these things that it's important because we go through stuff in life. We go through all kinds of things that we have to deal with. And we have to understand that. Jesus, we have to understand his position. We have to understand where he's at, what he is today. And that he's there as your head. He's there to be at your side. He's there to walk with you and take care of things with you. He's there to talk to you if you turn to that voice. And not just be so consumed with things, but turn to that voice. Jesus has seen the church for 2,000 years. Father looks at the church and sees it as the valuable container of his Holy Spirit. He sees the church that was paid for by the high price of his son. He sees the church filled with flawed, imperfect people. But to God, the church is golden. Why is that so important? Because you have to see the person sitting next to you as golden. And stop looking at their flaws and their imperfections. If you want to shine the light, shine it on yourself. And see the others as being valuable. Golden to God. Filled with deity. No, no man anymore after the flesh. You see a person, they're a vessel for the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. The church filled with his presence, being a light in the dark world. Jesus walks in the midst of his church. Amen. He's there to protect. He's there to watch over you, to keep a watchful eye, to see what's going on, to help you, to change what needs to be changed, to repent of what needs to be repented of, to help you to walk into being an overcomer in life. He's not looking to judge. He's looking to help. Amen. 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 We are his precious treasure. Jesus is Lord in every storm that we ever face. But we have to turn to him, hear his voice, give precedence to that voice that we hear. Let that word come alive on the inside of us in the middle of the storm. Speak to us. Give us direction. Give us hope. Give us clarity. And realize it's the living Lord and Savior, King of the kingdom, Lord of the church that speaks to you. Hallelujah. And whoever believes it will receive it. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we bless you. We honor you, Lord. We give you all the glory, the majestic honor that you so much deserve, Lord. There is none like you, glorious King, everlasting Lord. Oh, you are the living one. You are alive forevermore. Thank you, Lord, that you have defeated death, hell, and the grave. Thank you, Lord, that you brought the devil to naught, paralyzed him, made an open show of him publicly. Thank you, Lord. All authority has been given to you. And now that you are at the right hand of the Father and we are here on the earth, we can walk in that authority, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for faith. I thank you for grace. I thank you, Lord, for all things that you've given to us that pertains to life and godliness. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Holy Spirit, help us in these things to remember these things, not to get so caught up with the things that we see, not to get so caught up with the, with the trials that the devil wants to throw at us, not to get so caught up with the world system, but to understand the clash of the kingdoms, to remember what kingdom that we're in, to operate as we ought to, for we're in the kingdom that overcomes all kingdoms. We're in the victorious kingdom that cannot be shaken. Oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to walk in this, that it become a reality in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.